All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. As you're turning there, you might realize this is a very large psalm. There's more than 70 verses in Psalm 78. It's actually the second largest psalm, but you don't need to worry tonight. We're not going to cover the whole thing. Um, Just going to probably look at the first eight verses. The title of the devotion tonight is generativity, if you're wondering how to say that word. And I understand that might be a new word to many of us here tonight. I read it recently in a psychology magazine. And uh, the term generativity was coined by a psychoanalyst by the name of Eric Erickson in the 1950s. And it simply means this, quote, a concern for establishing and guiding the next generation. A concern for establishing and guiding the next generation. And as we look to the scripture tonight, uh, we're going to talk about just that because God has actually instructed you and me as Christians, as leaders within our home, as leaders in this church, as just people of influence, honestly, to have a concern for establishing and guiding the next generation. And obviously, first and primarily, that has to do with moms and dads here tonight. And I can relate to that, but it even goes beyond that. Our Awana program can help support in that way. Obviously, children's Sunday school teachers and children's church volunteers, preschool volunteers, grandparents, aunts, uncles, siblings, everybody can help uh, with this. But we ought to have a strong concern and a commitment to establishing the next generation, not just in anything, but in God's truth. And in God's word. So if you're there in Psalm 70, I'd ask that you'd stand with me in honor of God's word. I know we've been sitting for a while, so maybe that will help us maintain a little bit more focus tonight. But Psalm chapter 78, I'll turn our attention to verse number one. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Boy, we could use a world full of young people who'd keep God's commandments, couldn't we? In verse 8, it might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to honor these young people tonight. We are so So proud of them and the work that they put in. And I pray that these wouldn't just be mere words that they memorize off of a page, but Lord, that these words, your words, would be ones that they would hide in their heart, that they would cherish in their heart, that they'd study to show themselves approved unto God. And Lord, bless our workers tonight. We're so thankful for them. And I pray that you would see, I know you see what they do. And Lord, I just ask that you would encourage them, stay faithful to you and to keep serving. And Lord, now as we look to your word, I ask your blessing. I pray that we just give a few moments uh, to reflect in our own hearts if there's any area in which we could have a greater concern for the next generation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Well, Psalm 78 is an instructional psalm. It's, It's a psalm that 
it, it discloses the history of the nation of Israel. Therefore, it's a story about God. Therefore, it's God revealing himself to us, his heart, his intentions, his desires. And it is, in a sense, really, Psalm 78 is a miniature Bible. It really kind of is. And if we're to consider the whole psalm together here tonight, we would see the vast and sweeping spans of God's work in history and bring it forward to understand how it applies to our lives today. Uh, but we'll just consider the preface here tonight, rather the first eight verses. And first of all, what we see in verse number one is we see an invitation from God himself. Look at verse one with me. He says, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. So God is basically saying, hey, everybody gather around. I love you. I love people. And I love to teach you truth. And I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to give you my laws. And as you read this, I want you to keep in mind that this is a very loving, shepherdly, fatherly God who's, who's giving us his boundaries for our own benefit and blessing. You see, God's laws are always born out of love. They're always born out of law, love. God doesn't just make laws for the fun of it. Um, he, he doesn't make laws to keep us from having fun or from enjoying our lives. His laws are indeed what keep us experiencing the reality of flourishing, his way in the world that he made and the way that he made it to be lived. And so God's laws are always loving. It's always the best kind of living. They always lead us toward flourishing and in growth and in grace. And he says, so give me your ear. Incline your, your, your ears to the words of my mouth. That word incline has the idea of voluntarily, willingly, willfully, leaning in with a heart to receive. That, that's what it means to incline. And you know, it would do us well, church family, to anytime we open up the word of God behind this pulpit or at some classroom upstairs or down below or anytime you read the Bible at your dinner table and you open up the word of God that you recognize that that's God speaking to you and we should incline ourselves to it. We should lean into it. It, it means to focus. It means to silence your world. Hey, to silence your notifications, Right? And to lean in and to listen to the word of God. He says, I'm going to open my mouth in a parable and plain sayings, plain stories. I'm going to take these dark sayings of old. I'm going to bring them forward in an understandable metaphor and understandable realities. Because, verse 3, he says, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. So this is one generation saying, hey, this is something that really happened in history. This is something that our fathers told us about and God really indeed did these things. In verse four, therefore, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. Now, let me pause, my friends, and ask you this question tonight. Are you hiding in any way, the realities, the laws, the parables, the truths, the story of God, are, are you hiding those things from your children? There's a lot of ways we can do that, passively and, and even actively. You know, we can mask the heart of God with our own flesh, with our own pride, uh, with our own anger, with our own lack of spirituality or spiritual maturity. We can mask the heart of God. We can hide these things from our children by having mixed priorities. Uh, 
by putting God way down on the priority list and, and letting everything and anything encroach upon maybe things like church attendance or church involvement or opportunities to really elevate and make God a priority in our lives. We can hide the realities of God from our children by not repenting of sin that's in our lives and by not seeking forgiveness when we really blow it. And don't you know that your kids know it? when you blow it, and they're looking for how you handle that. And we're hiding grace in those moments. We're hiding the gospel in those cases. And we can hide things from our children by simply not saying them, by not taking time at home to teach them about the laws of God and the things of God and what he's done and how he's leading us and our family and how we follow him and why we love him and and teaching them the gospel in the living room and at the dinner table and the list could go on. And so this generation is saying, we will not hide those things from our children, showing the generation to come. Notice now, what do we want to show? The praises of the Lord, living a life of praise. And don't you know that our kids are watching us so closely and they pick up on everything. And you know, in those hard times, mom and dad, in those hard times, a want to worker when you had a long day, you know, the kids notice They see it, they feel it oftentimes, and they're watching and they're learning from your response to the hardships. And they're watching to see, does this person have a heart of praise? Well, it's been a hard day, but praise the Lord, I had another day. I'm going to trust him anyways. I'm going to be grateful for it. Thank God for what he's done. Hey, kids, hey, look at what God has done for our family. Look at how God has provided for our family time and time again. Look at how God has led us through. Look at how God has directed our steps. Look at how God's blessings just continue to unfold in our lives. Here's the point. You and I should be making it a point to find the children in our lives and do everything that we can do to tell them the story of how God led and guided and blessed our lives. Now, I understand there may be here some here tonight who haven't received biblical truth from their father or their father's father, but the reality is you are receiving biblical truth today, are you not? And however God is bringing biblical truth into your life, you now are the chain breaker. And, and you are the one that can break the chain of generational spiritual wandering in this generation and generations to follow. You can begin to hand the truth to the next generation. And my friend, we as a church family, we as Christians, as believers in this generation, but most importantly, you and I as maybe a Christian father or Christian mothers in the room here tonight should be absolutely committed to this priority of handing our faith down to our children, to the next generation. We should show the praises of God, praising him for the blessings and the burdens, praising him for the good things and the things that we deem difficult, all of it. And the psalmist mentions that we should show forth his strength in verse number four. In other words, show them, hey, God is the one leading us. God is the one who guides us. God is the one who renews us. God is the one who provides for us. He protects us. He's doing his work in our lives and we're following him and day by day he's meeting our needs in verse 4 and showing his wonderful works that he hath done. Now, if we pause and think about it, this is actually twofold. You think about the history, what, what God has done in history and the cross being obviously the pinnacle of that work, the cross and the resurrection, but all of this, all of what God's done in history. There's a lot of God in history and it's, it'd be good for us to reflect on that with our children. And the psalmist is rehearsing the works of God in the rest of the chapter, but then you could personalize it, couldn't you? Like, what works has God done 
in your life? And would you make it a priority to share it with them? Can you tell that story? Can you share how God has come through, how he's answered prayer, how he's revealed himself real and present and active in your situations and in your circumstances, in your history? Do you, do you want to do that? Do you enjoy doing that? Well, that's pretty awkward, you know, to talk about God. And I just, I don't like that answer because it's only awkward because you haven't made it normal. And, and I, I wish to God we'd have more Christians, myself included, that would just make talking about God and the things of God a normal thing. <laughs> and uh, God has shown himself real. He has shown himself so active in my life and no doubt probably in your life as well. And, and we want to ought to talk about that especially to our children. I believe tonight, if, if we just cleared off a spot tonight and, and we gave opportunity to testify of what God has done in our lives, we would say, hey, there's some seasons in our life where God's work was just exponential, where it was undeniably loud. Our God is very active, is he not? He's very present, but you know what? We often don't see it and we often don't hear it. And you know why? Because verse one, we're not inclining our ears. We're not looking and opening our eyes, we're choosing, whether actively or passively, to not remember the works of God. But the reality is, we get to. We get to. So God is a God who does wonders, and we need to incline our ear and set our minds first, and remember, and then share it, and tell stories to the next generation. Verse 5, for he established a testimony in Jacob, a, a testimony that's a, a witness, a true story. And don't you know that God established, he, he laid out for the, record, the, for the record of the ages, a testimony in Jacob, the nation of Israel, his chosen people. And, and the story that is written in the nation of Israel unfolds into the story of humanity at large. It's the story of what God is doing in time and in space. It's his redemptive narrative in human history. It's unfolding out of the nation of Israel and applies to the whole world. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. His law even finds its inception in the nation of Israel with the people of God. It comes out of that story and it gets forwarded to us today. His moral laws come forward to us today. His civil and ceremonial laws, many of the civil laws come forward to us today, even in our 21st century American system of government, has many parallels to the Old Testament civil government that God established. God's spiritual or ceremonial worship laws come forward in the gospel. And so God's laws in every way apply to our lives on some level. Not all of his laws. Aren't you thankful that we can eat pork today? Like things like that are... They were existential and they were for that period of time for that group of people, but we don't need to go down that road. But he's appointed a record of human history. He's appointed a law, the, the gospel being the law of life in Israel, which he commanded our fathers. He gave to them. He gave this law, the law of grace, the law of covenant, uh, the law of how to relate to him, the laws of how that we ought to relate to one another. All of God's instructional framework for how to be redeemed, how to know him, how to have a life in a fallen world and to follow him. Aren't you thankful that he provided that to us and he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children? Verse 6, that the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born who should arise and declare them to their children. 
Do you see the multi-generational effect here? There's actually three generations represented in this passage, so if you pause and think about that, that's about 100 years at least of your family being directly impacted and anchored to the heart of God if you will decide that you're going to know his laws and his word and the story of God and the heart of God and you're going to give that to that generation that's coming up and you're going to teach them and then they will in turn teach their children so that it will continue to be passed forward. I love what Moses said in Psalm chapter 90 uh, where he said, let the glory of the Lord be upon us and let it shine upon our children. You know, let it be known. Let it be known to the next generation. And, and it's almost as if he's saying, Lord, we don't want to legislate that they follow you. We want them to see your glory. We want them to see your heart. We want them to be attracted to you because of who they see you to be in us. Now, my friend, this is the essence of verse number four. We will not hide them from our children. We will not hide the glory of God. And here's the goal. You and I should live in such love, such grace, such beauty, such wonder, such amazement at the glory and the wonder and the love of God that it radiates from you in a way that your children just long to know that God that you serve. And then you teach them to do the same thing for their children. You see, it's really the art of loving well just as God loves us well. It's not just the art of didactic teaching, transferring him from information. That's not enough. It's the transfer of heart. It's loving as God loves. Verse seven, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So here's what we're doing. We're preparing the next generation. How do we do that? Well, first of all, it would do us well to set our hope in God. Parents, adults, teachers, leaders, hang all of our hopes all of our dreams, all of our plans, all of our agenda, all of our priorities on God himself, on his story, on his narrative, his priorities, his glory, his outcomes, his purposes, the mystery of his eternal will. We're hanging our hearts and our hopes on him. We're building our lives on the testimony and the law that he has laid down the reality of his word and his truth. And, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so we're setting our hopes in God and then we're teaching the next generation. And we're showing our children that he is indeed faithful. He is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is lovable. He is loving. He is patient. He is long-suffering. The list could go on and on and on. But then when they see that and they hear that and they feel that and they recognize that, they set their hope in God. But they need an example. And by the way, everybody sets their hope, all of it, in something or somebody. And anything that you set your hope in other than Jesus Christ, can I tell you tonight, is breakable, it's losable, it's fragile, it's insufficient, it's unfulfilling, it's ultimately only going to flatten you, it's going to crush you, it's gonna drop you on your head, it's gonna let you down, it's not going to come through, it's not going to get you all the way home, it's not going to work ultimately. It may appear to work temporarily in the short term, but how often do we take the blessings of God and we set our hopes in the blessings rather than the blesser? We set our hopes in the circumstantial, in the trivial, in the temporal, in the material, instead of in the creator of those things. And we get our priorities all out of order, and here's what happens. We get busy, and we get distracted, and we begin to set our affection on things below instead of setting our affection on things above, and our kids see it. 
and they're affected by it. And what God is saying is put your hope in me. All these things that you put your hope in are simply gifts that point you back to me. They're little windows through which you see my love and my heart and you see my generosity and my lavish mercy and grace. So look up at the giver and hold tight. Cleave to the giver of the blessings, not the blessings themselves. Set your hope in God that they may also set their hope in God. In verse 7, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments that we and the next generation and the generation following them would wrap up and cleave to God and put our hope in him and remember his works and keep his commandments. Why? Because here's the propensity in verse 8. They might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And really for the rest of the chapter, the psalmist is going to talk about how this rebellious nation rejected God and the negative effects that it had on generations to come. And we could look at that passage, we won't tonight, but I do want to mention this, that one thing we can learn is that the sins of one generation do not have to pass on to future generations. Aren't you thankful for that? That it's a decision, it's a choice, and any generation can break the chains of the past. So regardless of your past, or your mom and dad's past, or your great-granddad's past, you're not merely a victim of the choices of those that came before you. Maybe you have a long history of people rejecting God and rebelling against Him and breaking His laws and not keeping His covenants. Maybe you come from a long line of rebellion, but you can learn from that rebellion. Just like the psalmist teaches us from the rebellion of the children of Israel, wanting the next generation to repent and to turn back and to be revived. And so he says, this generation was stubborn. They were rebellious. They were a generation that didn't set their heart aright, but you can make a decision. No, no, no. I'm going to pursue God with all of my heart. I'm going to hold. I'm going to hang all of my hopes on God. I'm putting my heart in a right posture toward God. I noticed the end of verse eight, their spirit was not steadfast with God. Can I ask you here tonight, is your spirit steadfast? As one psalmist said it, my heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. Is your heart steadfast before the Lord? What would it take to rip away your spirit from cleaving to God, from following Him, from trusting Him, from obeying Him? Would it just simply take God not fulfilling His expectations, or your expectations that you've placed on Him to be, not answering your prayers? Is that what it takes to rip away your allegiance and your loyalty and your dedication to the Lord? Uh, that's, there's room for growth there. Look, we don't pray to get what we want. We pray to align our hearts with what God wants. And we pray to submit ourselves to God's will. And so a spirit that is steadfast with God says, God, I, I've adhered my soul to you in faith and in trust and in surrender and in submission. And, and no matter what you choose to do in my life in the near term, in the short term, with my life, I'm going to trust you regardless. I, I, don't know what you're feeling, I don't know what you're going through tonight, my friend, but anything other than this, the Bible says, is a stubborn form of rebellion. And so I challenge you to set your spirit steadfast with God. Let nothing move you so that the next generation may know that our God is real and he's awesome. And that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments and even pass those things on to their children so that their children may pass it on to the next generation and so forth. Can I ask you tonight, 
What is our world going to look like in 20 years? Who's going to be sitting in Congress and in Senate? Who's going to be running the country? But more importantly, who's going to be leading the church? Who's going to be taking a stand for good and right? Who's, who's going to be in a want to volunteer so that we can have a program like that? Who's going to serve in the church? Who's going to sing in the choir? Who's going to make a difference in our world for good and for God and for his kingdom? Well, it's got to be somebody who knows God and somebody who's in love with God. And, and I'll tell you, our church, Eastland Baptist Church, I'm so thankful for our pastor. We are committed to having a genuine concern for the next generation. And I could go on and we're very serious about that. But how much more should mom and dad take that responsibility and that, that opportunity so seriously? It always goes back to the home. Look, it starts there and it ends there. Awana is great. It's a wonderful program. And workers, your labor is not in vain. But Awana is just a support to what God wants you to do in the lives of your children through him and according to his word. The youth ministry is a great thing, but it's just a support to mom and dad that maybe they can come alongside or maybe even better would be behind and just help. But mom and dad are the ones who God placed to shape and to form and to influence greater than anybody else in this world. And so mom and dad, I don't know about you, I'm I'm scared to death to stand before the Lord someday and say, I didn't pass the torch. It involves mom and dad to be purposeful, to be intentional, to make it a point to talk about the scripture at home, to make it a point to talk about what God's done in your life, in the home. And it doesn't just take mom and dad. It involves grandma and grandpa. It involves aunts and uncles and teachers and anybody, everybody, to not hide these things from our children. Listen, if we've got it, we owe it to give it to them. So let's have some generativity, a genuine concern for establishing and guiding the next generation. Guiding them to what? To God, to his word, to his ways.